0: I'm Jackie Patton, Managing Director of InkBlock Creative, a new and very different communications and marketing agency. I'm so excited to be back with Series 3 of Stay Connected, where I have got the absolute pleasure of chatting to another fantastic group of business leaders, creatives and everyone in between about how they stay connected. We chat about big goals, important relationships and holding on to a sense of purpose when what's going on in the world isn't always in our control. I can't wait for you to join us for these conversations. So tune in every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher for the next free episode. And if you're enjoying these chats as much as we are, I'd really love for you to leave us a review. This week, I'm talking to journalist Gary Burgess. His questions to the government and the Twitter roundups have fast become a go-to source of info in Jersey's response to the coronavirus pandemic. We had such a fantastic chat where we talked all about his life and career. Unfortunately, in November, Gary found out that the cancer he's been battling in 2020 was terminal and he's been given 6 to 12 months to live. So it was an absolute privilege to be able to have this conversation with him today. I could have spoken to him for hours. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of tea. This is Stay Connected. So, Gary, thanks for joining me.
1: Jackie, it is a treat to be here. I've been a listener and now to be inside your podcast world feels very special. So thanks for inviting me.
0: Oh, it's just so nice to see you as well. Um, And I kick off every episode by asking my guests to bring along an object that they feel connected to. And uh, just before we started recording, you were teasing me, but I've not seen your object. What have you brought with you today?
1: Well, object implies something pretty solid as a mass, maybe an, an ornament. So I don't know whether this passes the threshold. My object is a dressing gown. It's not just any old dressing gown. It's a very special dressing gown. It's tatty. It's beginning to fall to bits. I have two subsequent dressing gowns of superior quality, yet I still on rotation wear this white waffle fabric dressing gown from a cruise ship.
0: I was going to say it looks like the kind you get in a hotel, did you nick it? That's the first question.
1: No, no, no. It, it was actually gifted to me. So uh, if it hadn't been gifted, I probably would have nicked it because I'm that kind of traveller. Uh, but this this dressing gown—it sounds weird to say—but it's become emblematic, symbolic of so many things in my life that I feel the need to hold onto it and enjoy wearing it every time I do.
0: Um, so what you're saying—it feels kind of symbol symbolic of things in your life. What kind of thing?
1: So the obvious thing is it's from a cruise ship. Uh, me and my husband love going on our cruises. It, it's our happy place away from the world. It's not even necessarily about the places we visit when the ship goes to shore. Just being on board a cruise ship, there is something about it for me where my mind is not drifting to the woes and worries of daily life and work. I, I'm much more in the moment. I enjoy sitting there with a good book. It's, it's one of the few places where I can really, really properly consume a good book and enjoy that moment or people watching or the theater shows or the good food or the nice cozy rooms so all the stuff to do with a cruise ship but then this self-same dressing gown it's also to do with uh, ownership and control and being able to do things in your life. In, in recent times, I, I've been through some very grueling chemotherapy and there are days when I wasn't able to get out of my hospital bed. Uh, and on the days where I was able to get out of my hospital bed, I then put on my dressing gown and it, it almost became the uniform of I'm well enough to do stuff today. So that's another aspect of it. And I think the third and final part part is is one of my day jobs is as a tv reporter with itv news and you know you're suited and booted and looking very newsy and i'm not a naturally very formal person and the moment i get home i take off that uniform of television news And I always pop on my dressing gown. So some perhaps only wear them first thing in the morning or last thing at night. There are whole days, if I can get away with it, where I will happily wear one of these around the house. And I make no apologies for that fact.
0: Your dressing gown sounds like my equivalent of taking my bra off when I get in from a day at work.
1: (laughs) I'll take my bra off as well, but don't do that too often, otherwise it bruises my kneecaps. Yeah, there's that as well, Moobs everywhere.
0: (laughs) It's that feeling, is it, when you get in and I'm like, the day is over? It is. There is something about it. It's like freeing
1: the straight jacket of corporate life, and then suddenly it's the equivalent of a hug, of the best pair of slippers, of that warm, cosy almost jug-sized mug of warm milk, any of those things, my dressing gown and this particular dressing gown is the equivalent of that. So that is my object.
0: I love it. And I love that it's a bit tatty and worn out and you still feel cosy and nice in it.
1: It's a metaphor for me, a bit tatty and worn <laughs> out, but still ultimately quite nice and very huggable.
0: Love it. Do you, uh, It's really cool what you're saying about going on cruises being your kind of happy place. And I can imagine as a journalist must be quite hard to detach from, yeah, quite hard to detach from the news when your job is the news. Um, But I know you, you grew up kind of near the seaside, didn't you? So have you always had an affinity for kind of being near the sea? Has that always been something that's been important to you?
1: Wow. Do you know what? No one has ever asked me that. And I've never given that any particular thought. Um, My childhood days, although I was born in Manchester, I then eventually went uh, to, to grow up in Blackpool in my formative years in late primary school and secondary school. And then when I went working in various cities around the UK, I got this call out of the blue to move to the Channel Island of Guernsey originally. And then I left Guernsey and went back to Liverpool, which although by the coast doesn't particularly feel so when you're living in it. And I felt the need to return back to an island. And I love going on cruises. There might be something in that. I've never really thought it through, but that kind of makes sense. For me, it's just about the lack of barriers you know you you look out to sea and i have the same feeling on the west coast of jersey on a saturday morning we'll often go for brunch at our favorite place and if the weather's not too wild sit having breakfast on the seawall or by the seawall and the bit that blows my mind is if i look in the right direction the next thing from where i am is new york (laughs) Look at it on a map. It's New York. And I find that mind-blowing. There is nothing in the way of the Statue of Liberty and me. It's a straight line. And just that open expanse of no barriers to your life. It's quite a liberating, freeing, empowering feeling. So, yeah, pseudo-psychologist, Jackie. I think you've sussed me out.
0: (laughs) Well, I was thinking about it because I grew up in Jersey. And I think that when you live near the sea... I've lived all over the place, but the thought of living kind of somewhere landlocked, I, I can't imagine being very far away from it. And I, I think there's something, isn't it, when you're used to that expanse and being able to go somewhere and not be able to see the edge. And um, I imagine that cruising is a similar experience, right? You are literally just bobbing about in the middle of the sea for, with nothing from It's for
1: lovely. Life. Yeah, those, those mornings for me, uh, you know, waking up in your cabin, you open the curtains and, and you've no idea. Well, you probably have an idea if you've read the itinerary properly, but not me. You've no idea whether you are waking up already in harbour uh, or cruising from A to B or just arriving at a destination. And it's that joy. And if, if the ship's facing in the right direction, that you also get this magical sunrise in the middle of nowhereville. There is just the sea. There might be the occasional gull or other seabird and the sun is rising and you're just sitting there on that balcony maybe you know a first cup of coffee maybe that book is sitting there but actually that is a moment when the book doesn't get read because the moment is the moment it is magical it's it's kind of symbolic of a fresh start a new day a blank sheet of just pure Opportunity of Burgess, what are you gonna do with your day? Which on a cruise ship is obviously mainly peanut larders uh, But, <laughs> but you know, similarly, you know, if you are there on the coastline of the island where we live, which is such a privilege, and and I think made even more so uh, during this 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 mm. lockdown and pandemic. I've got friends living in the middle of inner cities when it's just. Buildings, walls, and closed fascias in front of them. And we've got all this around us. We are just so lucky.
0: Yeah, it it makes you feel less stuck, doesn't it, when you can go somewhere where there is no barrier?
1: Absolutely right, and it's it is that sense, isn't it? It's funny how how our, our environment can influence us. You know, we talk a lot about the built environment, but the natural environments as well. And just knowing that sense of space, that sense of possibility, and just I, I used to be a bit I don't know skeptical about people who talk about reconnecting with nature and you know tree huggers and all of that. But there is something about whether it's sitting on the grass in a park or walking and strolling along the sand on the beach, or even just sitting on the seawall and just listening to those waves crashing. There's something about it It just centers you in the moment. It just brings you a little bit back to now. And it might only last a few seconds. It might only last a few minutes, but it stops your mind drifting to all the tosh of life. And 99% of it is tosh in life. Yet yeah, we do. I do it all the time. I'm a constant worrier. And I'm trying to get better at just thinking, do you know what? Everything in life so far, Burgess, has ended up okay. So most of your worries were unfounded because we're all still here. So the more I can just focus on now, and it's why if there are footpaths that go around the grass and there are a few in town, I avoid the footpath. I always walk over the grass because someone, you know, a government, a local authority, a parish, has built this footpath. Yeah, they've built this footpath, and they're implicitly telling you, use the footpath. Well, grass is for walking on. Grass is not an ornament. And so I walk along and trapes over the grass, and there's something nice about that. It also it's makes definitely- me feel a bit of a rebel, a very low-level yeah. rebel, but a rebel.
0: <laughs> I um, I love taking my shoes off and just walking on grass. And it's that thing, isn't it? That feeling of like, like so my tree hugger moment is bare feet on grass. Because it's that feeling of like being connected to something that is not like man-made. It's so important. And it's funny you say about being a rebel. There's a fountain in my local park. I live near the Millennium Park in town. And uh, when it's not on, I walk underneath it, like whew, I'm allowed to walk under here when the water's not flowing. And I always feel really like rebel-y. So anyway, that's my rebel moment when I walk through parks.
1: Look at us too. We're so hardcore, aren't we? The world should yeah. watch out when we're about, we are dangerous.
0: <laughs> but I mean park settings, apparently. Um, so it's funny, you're talking about kind of sitting... On a cruise ship with your pina colada, and i love that image of you instantly in your in your dressing gown with your pina colada on a cruise ship balcony. So, did Gary growing up kind of in Blackpool? Did do you reckon little Gary expected his life to take you to cruise ship balconies with pina coladas?
1: God, no, I could not even imagine it at that point. I mean, if you think about what the cruise industry was back then, I was born in the mid-70s. So even growing up in the 80s, all those perceptions of what a cruise ship was, very stuffy, very formal, and it was something for other people. the the Literally, the only two places I knew you went on holiday uh, were Sitges and Benidorm in Spain, because it's where we went on holiday. Uh, and so that's literally all I knew in, in most of my childhood. And that's what I thought everybody did. Uh, for two weeks each summer, they went to Sitges or Benidorm on holiday end of story so no i could not even begin to imagine that or frankly most of my life you know my ambitions in the early days were initially to be an airline pilot and then a bank manager and then a lawyer and 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 as you can tell that that's all went desperately wrong and i ended up broadcasting but hey you can't win everything in life's lottery can you
0: (laughs) that's so interesting isn't it so were you? what were you like at school then? Were you kind of quite studious? If you were thinking lawyer then was the career for you.
1: Yeah, I was, I was the grade A student. Uh, weirdly, I was the student who, uh, like for GCSEs, I did my coursework the night before it was due to be submitted and always got A grades. And for my exams, didn't revise. And I came out with five A's, five B's and a C. And even in one of my mock exams, um, the teacher accused me of cheating because I got 100% in an exam and they were, they told me that's impossible. And I was like, but I just, got Did all it. the answers right. Uh, so I was I was that kind of, I was probably the hateable one who just found the core subjects, the English, the maths, the science, uh, I find them very straightforward. They just make sense. Anything that's logical uh, makes sense. And maths is logical. Science is logical. A lot, not all of English, particularly language, there's a lot of illogical stuff in that. But I found it very logical. Whereas English literature, when you're getting more to so the arts rather than the science side of the subject, I struggled with a bit more more and then languages and history again not quite my thing um but yeah the 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 subjects i studied um i i did well in but had this immense guilt that i was aware there were other students who had to work their backsides off to get themselves over the line for the grade thereafter Uh, but i just did not try very hard which then came as a shock when I started my A-levels because I quit doing my A-levels after three weeks. That was the last of my education. I I did high school and three weeks of A-levels and then bummed out entirely because that was the point I realized, oh, you actually have to work. And I'd never worked and it caught me unawares. Uh, so as much as I don't do regrets in life, the consequence of that is sort of a, a regret around the social side of never, never having gone to university because I think I'd have enjoyed that.
0: But it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, There's all these sliding doors moments in our lives, isn't there? And you think, actually, Gary, if he'd have done three A-levels, might have gone to university, you might have ended up as a lawyer or a bank manager, It's it's an extraordinary thought, isn't it? You know, there are so many aspects
1: of our life. You know, would I be married? Would I be in Jersey? Would I be doing ITV news or a bit of radio or a bit of newspaper or chatting to you on this podcast right now? And just one little change in my life means the entire sequence of my life would be entirely different. And it's, I mean, you can't think too much about that because as soon as you go down that wormhole, it's quite mind blowing, you know, hang on a minute. You know, genuinely, the reason I stopped wanting to be an airline pilot was because a friend at school and I think it was a primary school said oh you've got eczema you're not allowed to be an airline pilot if you've got eczema so rather than check that because there wasn't google back then stop laughing you're nearly choking on your cover it's true (laughs) stick with me Uh, instead of checking that fact out or asking an adult I was just like oh I'll be an airline pilot. Right, I'm going to be a bank manager.
0: And PG,
1: an tip dripping out of your conk. Nice.
0: Yeah, I didn't become an airline pilot because Joey from school said you can't if you've got eczema. So yeah, well, I'm isn't glad that the try. maddest thing? But it's how it was. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's interesting, isn't it? And it's funny what you're saying about kind of all those how it can be quite mind blowing to even think about it. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I love these conversations that I get to have on this podcast is that everybody, everybody that I've ever spoken to as a guest, when we're talking about all the connections in their life, talks about what if that one connection had been different? What if that one decision had been different? And it is fascinating how your life kind of, kind of leads you on the path, right? I think we think we're making decisions and it's not always the case.
1: Absolutely, you know. For me, my my first uh, media experience was with radio. I, I was I was an avid consumer of radio in my sort of child and teen- teenage years, listening to the radio. But it even then, hadn't really occurred to me that I would ever do that. It was more that I loved listening to it. Um, I had a little turntable at home and a little microphone. I liked playing in my bedroom. But again, it wasn't with a view to anything. It was just emulating something I enjoyed. And I listened to my local radio station. I wrote off. to my favorite presenter asking for a signed photo and all that nonsense. And it was only when the school decided to set up a GCSE media studies course Uh, in the very year I was effectively part of the first cohort. And they then said, let's set up a radio station. And then just as I was finishing doing my GCSEs, the local radio station opened in town. You know, everything was just good fortune and the timing was right. The stars were aligned. And, you know, one of those variables gone may not be doing any of this. And so I'm I'm delighted it's worked out because, yes, I'm, I'm sure a lawyer would earn a lot more money and a bank manager would earn a lot more money and an airline pilot would earn a
0: lot more money. But I'm happy. And you wouldn't have as much time for cruises if you were on an aeroplane all the time, would you? So there's always a silver lining.
1: Yeah, I would counter that by saying you get lots of far-flung stopovers, but we'll gloss over that bit of detail.
0: (laughs) I love that you've um, ended up on the radio, though. You're a Sunday morning. You're the Sunday morning soundtrack for my house. Oh, that's um, lovely.
1: I have a listener somewhere. Delighted to have it finally confirmed. I might (laughs) dance around
0: while I'm making my breakfast on a Sunday. I love it. And you said that, like... Radio was a big thing. You were always listening to it. Was that kind of, if you take me to kind of your house growing up, was the radio always on in your house? Was it something that the rest of your family enjoyed, or was it just you in your room with your turntable? Yeah.
1: It really wasn't the rest of the family at all. On a Sunday morning, I remember the family, we had this stereo stack system in a glass cabinet with a double cassette player, because we were very posh, as well as the turntable, Uh, and you could change the EQ of the speakers to make it sound tinnier or boomier, Uh, and we used to have Red Rose Gold on on a Sunday morning, playing the oldies. Uh, But for me, in my bedroom, I had uh, Red Rose Radio and Rock FM, just a little bit cooler, Uh, but for, for me, the magic was at night nighttime uh, there was this late night phone in and i'd never heard anything like it in my life uh, obviously you know we're all used to this sort of phone in and a bit of the sort of the jeremy kyle equivalent but on the radio Back then, it was something I, I never even knew existed. That there was this guy on the radio who would let people phone up on a given subject, and he effectively—I now realise—was just playing devil's advocate. But at the time, I was thinking, "Goodness, he just has an angry opinion about whatever people are ringing up about." I now know he was just making great radio. Uh, but it was—it was compelling. It was raw. It was in the moment. You were connecting to these other people's lives. And because it was at night, and because the world outside was dark and your curtains were closed, and I'm laid in my bed, this little clock radio with its red digital display on a sleep timer. So I knew it would go off after 60 minutes, so make the most of it. Not even considering I could just turn it back on, but hey, there you go. <laughs> uh, and and suddenly it was just this magic, almost like Tardis portal into another world, wider than my own house or my own street or my own community. So yeah, that magic of radio was there, but very much a me thing rather than a family thing. And and it is still, you know, if you ask me, and I'm not asking you to you know, pose a question to me, Jackie, ask me what my favourite medium is. But no, um, radio. Radio is still my first love yeah it's the one if if i had to pick between all the things i do there's just something about radio that is magical because it's the the intimacy and the immediacy it's quite an honest thing and actually podcasting and chatting to you is very much the equivalent of that as well we can just chat like nobody's listening and hey i've not checked the audience figures it might be true
0: (laughs) (laughs) i won't send you them um yeah, that's one of the reasons I love podcasting actually, because it's probably one of the only mediums where you can be wherever your listener is. So you know, you have to be sat on your sofa to watch the telly, don't you? You have to pick up a book to read it. You have to log into Instagram to see what's going on. But with a podcast or with the radio, you can be with them if they're in the shops, if they're in the gym, if they're walking, like wherever they are. You're you know in the car they're they're with you no matter where you are. And I I always think that that's quite magic.
1: There is something truly magical, and that is the word magic. There's something truly magical about that. This morning, you know, I have my podcast on my mobile phone here, and I have my usual podcast I start the day with, and the same podcast worked its way from the bathroom down the stairs into the kitchen while I made a coffee. I then came in the lounge and watched a bit of telly, which is my morning routine, but then I went upstairs to... Well actually I am this shirt, I so iron a shirt, the podcast was on, went into the bathroom, the podcast was on and yeah there's there's just something about audio that it can be anywhere and everywhere. It can keep you company. It can be a friend. It can expand your mind. And there's something lovely about podcasts as well, that it's not the bish, bash, bosh five-minute blitz. You know, you listen to the Radio 4 Today program, their their 10 past 8 interview on the biggest story of the day. You know, they try to squash that into five minutes, whereas I listen to podcasts that are half an hour, an hour. In fact, there's one I listen to that's two hours a week, Uh, and, and I thought I'd never find enough time in the world for that actually you do if it's good you listen and time flies as well it is it is a time machine that transports you into the future because that two hours goes in the blink of an
0: eye and it's nice isn't it that idea that you know you like when you're doing your shows on the radio all those different people are doing all those different things and you're there with them i like that as an idea i think that's really lovely
1: it's lovely and when you get the the text messages and tweets and other messages coming into the studio, you know, because you can imagine, like, oh, what might people be doing on a Sunday morning? I do Sunday sort of 10 till 2, so it's around, you know, around getting Sunday lunch ready. Maybe people are thinking of going out for an afternoon stroll or they're having a lazy brunch or they're nursing a hangover. But then, you know, you get messages coming in from listeners and it's lovely. You know, someone's saying, oh, I'm listening to the tunes while I'm doing the ironing. Uh, someone was painting their garage the other day, you know, getting the Sunday roast ready uh, or asking me to say happy birthday to their grandson and you just think that's lovely that's really special just just connecting with people in the moment and, and that that is what I love about it
0: and do, so we're talking about kind of I guess how you got to today we're talking about like your childhood and school and things like that and radio's obviously played a big part in being that stepping stone for you have you had any particular people that have kind of helped you along the way in your career you know as you were kind of getting into what you do now is there anyone that kind of stands out in your mind that was a really amazing connection for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, um, uh, somebody called Andy Mitchell, who uh, was the one of the first newsreaders and presenters of Radio Wave in Blackpool when it opened in 1992. Uh, he previously worked at Piccadilly Radio in Manchester and helped Mrs. Anderton, the media studies teacher at my secondary school, set up the school radio station. So was sharing his professional expertise. You know, this is how you use a microphone. This is how you drive a mixing desk. This is how you talk over the music and all that kind of stuff stuff uh, So he was—he was very influential to, to get the ball rolling, but also that effectively was the one who opened the door for me to get through the door of that very first proper grown-up radio station, uh, and was a source of huge encouragement and support. And I'm still in touch with Andy all the time now, so he's a, a you know a lifelong, very special friend. So he was very significant at the start, and then I mean it's—it's it's hard to single. I mean, I could single lots of people out. The fear is that I will clearly miss a number of people out. But there have been key people right the way through my career at either individual radio stations or at group level, effectively the parent company that owns a group of radio stations. Uh, you know, someone who called me out of the blue when I was working in Glasgow to ask if I'd come down for an interview for a job in Guernsey. That, that means the world because that opened up this whole life in the Channel Islands that I've enjoyed since two 2003 now uh, so is a huge proportion of my life but but an even bigger proportion of my working life if you think of it in those terms uh, so yeah so many people to be grateful for but i guess right at the start of it it's mrs anderson my media studies teacher again still in touch with all these decades on uh, and, and and i still call her mrs anderson she's margaret sorry margaret anderson, <laughs> Morning, mrs. anderson. <laughs> <you're> <laughs> exactly, right. exactly. Yeah, just, that's, that's the rules uh, and, and andy as well she, two very very special people
0: it's interesting as you're talking about them there so i uh, the question i asked was people that you felt connected to and you've answered with the people you're grateful for yeah and I that's a really nice that's where your head's gone right to gratitude <laughs> the people you're grateful for
1: it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, I, uh, gratitude is a word that crops up so much in my life these days, and and I guess you know I've I've always been a, a, a broadly positive, optimistic, glass half full uh, kind of person, and try and think of myself as a kind person. Try to be. Don't always manage it, but try to be. Uh, but yeah, i increasingly in in recent times, uh, gratitude is a big part of my life, and it's not something I I don't do. I know some people formalise the. I sit down every night and what. Am my gratitude, grateful for, and I write down my three acts of gratitude in my journal. I, I'm not organized to do, you know, I, I don't keep a diary, don't do any of that sort of stuff. I admire people who do for the very facts they have that discipline to do it. But no, I, I am grateful and I, I, I use the word a lot. So clearly, uh, not that we monitor every, I'm, I'm sure Siri and my iPhone knows every word I've said in the last year, but I suspect if I was to log it on, on a word cloud of what I say, grassroots has grown in size over the last 12 months.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And, you know, for our listeners that don't know you, so you had um, a terminal cancer diagnosis at the end of last year. Um, So you're kind of saying it's grown, grown recently. And that's no surprise, right? That when you're given news like that, that suddenly you're looking at things maybe through a slightly different lens.
1: I think there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. I mean, a very potted summary of backstory. I originally was diagnosed with testicular cancer in 1999. It had spread through my stomach, chest and lungs and I had chemo. Uh, and it broadly did the trick. And then about six or seven years ago, some cancer came back to my lungs, had it surgically removed. I'm a big fan of you know surgical removal of a problem, gone, happy days. <laughs> uh, and then at the end of 2019, uh, it all came back in pretty nasty fashion and had what's called salvage chemotherapy. It's like last chance saloon chemo. It appeared to have worked. And then in the middle of 2020, things started going awry. And yeah, November the 2nd, 2020, I I got given a terminal cancer diagnosis. Uh, and obviously, it's, it's a best guess from the medics. But basically, they said, you know, six to 12 months is is what we're saying. Uh, so, you know, I'm already well over a third of the way into the bottom end of that range but it's just a range you know it, it might be less than six months but it could be way beyond 12 months as well uh so i i'm i'm more focused on just living well you know living living every day in whatever wonderful way that is including chatting to you and and yeah gratitude dialed up in the middle of all of this because the alternative is, is moping and being desperately sad every day and goodness of course I I cried my eyes out and you know get upset in different ways probably most days actually but it's it's a slice of my day it isn't my day and that's that's the key point really for me
0: I always think when you say six to twelve months I think well six and twelve are very different numbers aren't they yeah like it feels like that's quite a confusing range because I guess if someone says in six to twelve months you're going to go on holiday you think okay yeah,
1: but it's and, and, and something
0: and, finite. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know what, what does it really mean? I mean, all it really means is just a best guess. And as it happens, it's quite a, a, a rare form of cancer, so there's not much source material to work from. So it's it's a guess of a guess of a guess. Uh, and right now, you know, I, I'm about to have some more treatment that they think it's kind of like they think might possibly, perhaps, could bolt on some extra time on the end. So it's, it's all ifs, buts, and maybes. And that's not a criticism of anybody at all. It's just a reality. And I, I. Really feel for, you know, like that oncologist having to break that news to someone and actually having to do it over a video call because of COVID. I couldn't even be in his office. You just think, how awful for the poor guy to have to, you know, do that for a living. And what must that do? You know, I'm only one person, but, you know, he's having to do a number of those. Uh, And and then the team that kicks in around me, you know, here in Jersey at the hospital, the the oncology team, the respite care team, uh, you know, Millen out in the community as well. Just astonishing people that suddenly this machine springs into action. And you realize, again, I come back to gratitude, how grateful I am for it.
0: I think that, um, so when I prep for these conversations... I kind of think about the conversation in three parts, right? We'll talk a bit about their past. Then we'll talk a bit about the present. And then we'll talk about the future. And obviously when I was prepping for our conversation, talking about your past, great. That's something that's happened, right? And then when we're starting to talk about the present, I'm just really cognizant that some of my questions that I normally ask, you know, kind of, who do you love spending time with and why? (laughs) They feel a bit defunct, right, when you're talking to somebody?
1: No, no, I completely disagree with you. No, that's what I would have thought before I found myself in the shoes I find myself in. In the same way, my advice to someone who had been given a terminal cancer diagnosis would be, live your best life, quit your job, get off social media, go on holiday. Yeah, all of that stuff. And actually, when you find yourself in it, you realize, hang on a minute, if you only live your life at the top of the curve of excitement... There is no longer any ups and downs in life. And without the downs, you don't appreciate the ups. If you constantly were on a luxury holiday, it would stop in a luxury holiday. It would be redefined as normal. Where do you go from there? Well, you probably go bankrupt because it cost you a fortune. That's where you go from there. So no, not at all. So, all, all your questions about living life now, for me, are as relevant as I hope anybody else on this planet, because all there is is now. That's the bit we all have in common.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? And it, it's funny what you say about um, like people's advice of, quit your job, do this, do that. And it's this like Hollywood thing where like somebody gets poorly or somebody dies or something happens and then everyone drops everything. And the reality is that everyone else's life is still happening the way it always has been, right? Absolutely
1: so- right. I mean, I, I've got a husband in the middle of all of this who still gets the same amount of annual leave every year. You know, (laughs) we've still got the bills to pay. We've still got a mortgage. We we can't, even if it wasn't COVID times, you know, we we can't just go on a two-year holiday, a wild bender around the planet and burn the candle in a hedonistic way. Not that I've particularly got the energy to anyway. But, you know, the mundane of life still has to go on. And actually there is so much joy in the mundane as well. You know, the joy in catching up with friends and just appreciating, for example, that that catch up with my brother a little bit more than I did previously, because we're brothers. We rub along rather than get along. So, you know, we, we chat to each other because we're meant to chat to each other. Uh, I, I'm perhaps over-egging. I, I, you know, I, God, I, I enjoy spending time with him, but you, you know what I'm saying? We're brothers. We're not best mates, but actually... That has been redefined through lockdown, but has also been redefined through the circumstances I find myself in. So I get so much more joy out of that than ever as well, partly because I think, you know, there may not be loads of these going on. So actually, I've got an obligation to enjoy them more as well, to cherish them.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned your husband who sounds like a great guy when he's heading off on these cruises with you and bless him. He's not oh, he's got a
1: facade. He's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's fabulous. He's fabulous. But
0: Alan. Obviously from, yeah, from knowing you and from kind of following your story, um, Alan's a big part of, I'm going to assume, the most important person in your life. Yeah. So how, Yeah. You married him, right? So we're going to assume he's pretty high up there. Um, but how, how do you make sure that you're, Because you're still working, you're doing loads of stuff like everyone, like life's busy, there's a lot going on. And as a journalist during Corona, I imagine your job has been busier than most people's generally. The news cycle has been never ending. So how do you make sure that you're really getting the time to connect with him and that that's a priority?
1: That's a great question. And I think the honest answer is we've not perfected it. And we've not made it a priority. I, I, I think because the treadmill of life is going at an unusual pace right now. Now he's got his job, I've got my job, and there's only one story in town. So I'd say you know more than 90% of the stories I cover are about coronavirus. And there are always so many variables at play and and so many different people to interview and so much nuance to make sense of and so many assertions perhaps from politicians that need challenging. Well, in order to challenge them, you need to know the backstory and what they previously said. So you're constantly hyper alert for uh, tidbits of detail that might not matter today. But if I don't pay no, of what person A said today, when person A says something different in a month, I might miss out going, hang on a minute, last month you said black was white and now you're saying black is black. Uh, So there's all of that going on um, and and Alan's got his full-time job as well. So actually... Yeah, that, that, that time we prioritise to go and do nice things, whether it's a nice meal out or whatever it may be, because of the events in all our lives right now, don't exist in the same way. So it's probably just a bit more of the mundane curling up on the sofa. And then we've had our Saturday morning ritual that's that's just kind of happened. It happened in the first lockdown in March 2020, which was – sorry, April 2020, which was – we went to the West Coast initially then it was because it was the only two hours of the week that I went out because I, I'm sort of clinically extremely vulnerable and we knew less about COVID back then. So I didn't even want to go out on a daily basis. I was like, oh, two two hours a week on a Saturday morning we'll go really early before anyone's around Where's probably going to be really quiet or at least wide open space the west coast of Jersey so we did that out at eight or nine in the morning and, and we found a place that we just love getting our breakfast or brunch from depending on what time of day we arrive and that has since just become a ritual we are I mean I don't know whether we've done every Saturday but I'd say we've probably missed less than half a dozen Saturdays and it's just what we do we, we head west we get our brekkie if the weather's nice we for a stroll if the weather's not we'll either sit on the seawall or sit in the car and have what we call a pandemic picnic where we're just uh, sitting there yeah living a pandemic picnic um and occasionally we'll do that meeting up with friends and their car parks side by side and instead of sitting both in the front seat it's one in the front seat one in the back seat so we can open we the yeah, and it's it's like neighbours chatting over the over the garden fence, you know, but but it's in COVID times, what a weird ass world we find ourselves in. So yeah, those, those are the moments, uh, but we probably ought to work hard on it. And and if I'm being honest, I think I'm I'm holding a a lot a lot of, of store in the opportunity to get away for that cruise whenever it happens. Mm. Yeah, hopefully it will be this year for my own selfish needs. I want it to be this year um, t- to get away if it's a cruise that's wonderful but if it's just a change of scenery somewhere warm then we'll we'll truly cherish that moment
0: and you mentioned before when you said about talking you know to your brother on the phone um and that idea of kind of feeling like i don't know how many more of these chats we'll have do you feel the weight of that in your um, interactions
1: i did Early on from getting that diagnosis in November, um, everything was through that prism of, you know, this, in fact, it was the week before my birthday, I got the diagnosis. So like, this might be my last birthday, suddenly emotional breakdown. This might be the last Christmas emotional breakdown. Our wedding, wedding anniversary is coming up in March. You know, this might be our last wedding anniversary, but actually already my emotional response to that is shifting because now my response is it also might not be the last wedding anniversary so I, I was so focused on this time scale i'd been prescribed effectively that i remember telling someone what if i live longer than 12 months and people think i'm a fraud i mean that's how wedded i was that i felt that there was an obligation that i had to die between six and 12 months because otherwise people would think i'd been lying about the whole thing i mean talk about perverse Someone's
0: right when you're bizarre isn't it yeah
1: yeah so so yeah in the early days to finally get around to answering your questions sorry talk about round the houses um you know each of those conversations had a lot of weight baggage significance attached to it because every conversation was significant so if i use my brother as the example you know he he rang twice in one week and that never happens so already it's like, oh, he's spoken to me twice in one week he's being amazing but oh my god he's also thinking yeah there's some bad stuff going on here and we've now got to the point where yeah i know he's checking in on me because he liked my instagram photo on insta and i'm like oh he's fine he's alive so we we're always like back to normal already It's like yeah and and i was like shall i call in today he's like, oh no I'll, I'll do it tomorrow and obviously tomorrow never comes so another week goes by so so life's changing because you know I, I, I was pretty clear in my own mind, normal has to resume sharpish. You can't mm-hmm. wake up every day moping about things and normal has to resume whatever normal is in anyone's life. Uh, so no, the weight of all of those conversations has has changed. It's not back to normal times. I I, I cherish and take something from everyone, whether it's my dad, my brother, my friends here or far flung or whatever it may be. Uh, but no, it's, uh, it's, it's all returning to I dread to use that phrase a new normal because I banned it because we kept hearing it in the early stages of this pandemic. It's not a bloody new normal; it's a pandemic. But but it's returning to a new version of what normal is. I think I just about got away with not saying new normal there.
0: Only said it about five times. I thought it was (laughs) kind of quick edit. (laughs) (laughs) I do. It's yeah. It's interesting what you're saying, and there's that. I guess that feeling of this is it. It has to be a certain way because I've only got a certain amount of time. And then actually, as the time goes on, you just can't hold that in your head, can you?
1: You can't. And that, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's a lot to carry. Uh, and also, it's hard work because then it ends up turning everything into an occasion. So it's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing a video call with person X. So it has to have purpose and meaning and structure. And I'm, I'm slightly over-exaggerating for effect. But then you realize, no, I'm just chatting with a mate. And I'll chat with a mate next week and next month. And I suspect at some point when, you know, the end is near, uh, you know, at some point when I know I'm dying, you know, there's a point where, you know, you know, you are in the, the final phase of life. I suspect then everything will have a very different significance and purpose, of course. But no, right now it's it's kind of business as usual ish you know there's, there's various aspects of my life with sort of treatments and other bits and pieces on the go uh, and not quite as much energy as previously and, and things I need to take care of myself physically that are a bit of a problem in my life but for the most part keep the show on the road look vaguely human and the great thing about telly is you're allowed to wear makeup so at least I can when people say oh you look so well I'm like yeah that's uh, that, <laughs> that's 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 number seven that is it's not Burgess <laughs> <laughs>
0: you slap it on why not absolutely trowel it yeah i have days like that and <laughs> i don't have my screws. um yeah i think it's i throughout our conversation so far today one of the things i've noticed like you were talking about um the man that gave your diagnosis and the first thing you said was i just think how awful it must have been for him yeah and you mentioned kind of guilt earlier as well that feeling of kind of um Worrying about other people and worrying that it's going to be harder for other people.
1: Oh, do you know what? The the guilt, seriously, Jackie, the the guilt attached to, like with with Alan, I don't think of it every day like this, but when I stop and think about it, the guilt of causing future hurt to another human being because at some point they will be widowed. They will be at my funeral. They will come home to an empty house. It's rigged. It's something I've, I've never really heard anyone talk about. I've never really read it anywhere. Not that I go looking for these things, but it's, yeah, it's, it's quite a big thing. It's, it's, it's calmed down now, but yeah, from, from right from the start, it, you know, the, the first phone call I made after I got the news was to my dad to break the news to my dad. You know, in normal times, I'd be around there like a shot, but because he doesn't live in the same island where I live, I couldn't be there, so it had to be a phone call. And then just, yeah, that guilt of causing so much hurt to another human being is cruel. It is just cruel. Um And I caused that. Now, the rational person, like I would say to someone else is, of course you didn't cause that, yada, yada, yada. I get all the rational stuff. So don't worry, you don't have to dive in and say that. I get it, I get it. Rational brain knows that. But emotional brain, that's exactly the feeling. But again, over time, as time's gone on, it all calms down. It all, you know, there are ups and downs in the day, but the ups are less high and the downs are less low. And the the frequency of the roller coaster as I think of it is now more a gentle amble and meander. And that's all right. I think that's pretty much like most people's lives anyway.
0: Yeah. I just think that there's not many people when they get told they've got terminal cancer, go, Oh god, I feel bad for the doctor for having to tell me that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> to be fair, I don't know because I've never surveyed lots of terminally ill people. So <laughs> <I'm just>
0: still-
1: <laughs> I really don't know. But but it, but it was genuinely my thought you know I, I remember asking him on that call you know how many times do you do this so actually on the call I asked him and I also asked him you know how do you manage that and what support do you get because I just thought that's, that's a really big thing for them to deal with uh, and we, we sometimes forget that because you know medics, doctors are, are almost an, an object a product a service no they're still people from dysfunctional families who have hangovers and forgot to put the washing out yesterday like the rest
0: of us <laughs> And I guess one of my questions that I wanted to ask you is, are you fed up talking about it? Because I know that you, you know, I think it was the 4th of November, so you got your diagnosis on the 2nd, wasn't it? And then a couple of days later, you wrote a blog, um, which I read and cried my heart out reading, incidentally. Cheers for that. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, I was cursing you as I was reading it, Gary. But there was a bit of me that thought, I understand that, that it's kind of a good way to get it out there, right? You don't have to have 50 million conversations, but I guess you're also opening the door to conversations. So what do you reckon about that?
1: Yeah, I hadn't quite thought all of that through. And and you're spot on, actually. Um, My reason for writing the blog Um, which which I actually wrote in the early hours of the 3rd of November. Basically, the night after I'd had the news, I was awake at one in the morning, just couldn't sleep. And there's no surprise in that. And I had so many thoughts and feelings wearing around my mind. And I know that for me personally writing it sort of letting these words escape through my fingertips i always found really cathartic so my primary reason for writing it down was selfish it was instead of it whirring in my head let it escape my body onto paper well you know onto a keyboard on a laptop um and then day one and day two of making phone calls which is just exhausting because you can't rush them and then by day three there were still a few people who I wanted to hear it from me, but I was just i just had nothing left. So I converted it to an email and cut and pasted the blog saying, I've written this blog. I've not made it public yet. I will at some point, um, but this is my story. And again, that was really helpful. So it served a purpose there. And then later that day, I started getting text messages from people um, telling me they were very sorry to hear my news, who were people I'd not told and so I just thought Oh, okay here we go cats exactly cats out of the bag I, I really want to be i'm a control freak you know i want to be in control of my own narrative um and i just thought Do you know what a there'll be somebody i've not told that i wanted to tell but i just can't think who they are and B, the cats out of the bag and we you know the rumor mill in jersey like many many places oh, yeah. is, is hilarious. Hilarious. um so i just thought i'd rather it was my version of my story than someone else's you know not not ill-intentioned but you know the chinese whisper becomes you know oh six to 12 months to live oh six to 12 weeks to live oh do you know Gary exactly. dying in six to 12 days he's got 12 hours on life support you know all of that rubbish uh, which didn't happen but that's where my head was so published the blog shared it on facebook and it's out there and actually i think it was only four people i'd missed who with hindsight i would have rather have heard privately rather than publicly which which is fine um but yeah the bit i'd forgotten is what happens next um and you know the, the messages are wonderful, uh, but it's also hard work. Um, and so it, it wasn't so much retelling the story. It was responding to people who were responding to my story, was knackering. I was doing 12-hour days of... Just replying to messages, I stopped counting the replies at 2000. That's once I reached 2000, I stopped counting, and God knows how many thousands it's up to. And over time, I gave myself permission to do shorter replies because at first I was like matching one for one. If you wrote a side of A4, you got back a side of A4. If you wrote three sentences, that gave me permission just to write back three sentences. It's knackering, it's absolutely knackering. But I read every word of everyone personal heartfelt reply and just over time i just thought you know what get real these are wonderful amazing people from all around the world because this blog just got shared everywhere um but i just thought you know would i mind if i got a slightly shorter less personal reply back if it was me like, you know no i wouldn't mind because they're dealing with being told they're going to die uh so i that kind of gave me permission and then over time i've just got basically my replies have got crapper there you go
0: <laughs> now it's just an emoji thumbs up yeah exactly
1: thumbs up with a little gravestone no i'm only joking i don't do that um no
0: actually
1: you know in reality yeah all of that has, has, has all calmed down nicely anyway um so so it's okay but yeah with, with hindsight um you know le- lesson to other people when they get that diagnosis and they feel they want to share it the world just be aware of what comes next because i genuinely not thought which is stupid because i know how social media works but because my motive for the blog in that moment of pressing Publish, which was a scary thing to press. Mm-hmm. And then sharing it on my on my friend's Facebook page, so not the world and his dog. I just hadn't considered the next bit because my motive was transmission, communication was not conversation at that point. But hey, you live and learn and then you die.
0: <laughs> and it's, it's funny, <laughs> isn't it? I, feel, I feel, There's going to be people listening to this podcast who are thinking, God, they're being super blasé about this, right? But I think unless you've faced it yourself or you've had kind of an experience in your family or in your close circle, you have to be a bit kind of blase about it, right? Otherwise you're never going to get through it all. And it's interesting what you were saying about, um, the weight of people's responses. And I think you said, you know, a lesson, (laughs) think about the repercussions of what you post on social media, lesson one, lesson two, (laughs) if you're ever faced with, you know, responding to something like that is that very often people pass on their feelings, don't they? To the very person that they're meant to be supporting. You know, when my parents died, I got loads of really amazing, well-meaning cards but pouring out their heart about how sad they were. And it's like, I know I'm sad too. And it's really sad for you, but please don't tell me how sad you are. Go and tell your best mate about it.
1: It's really interesting, isn't it? It's and I, I've not really considered. Have I been that person doing that in the past? I I can't really think of what the messages would have been in the past, and I may have done that. There's so much truth in that. Uh, You know, among the messages, a lot of sort of shared experience with with the aim of empathising with you, but a lot of them are also. Projecting other people's existing or historical emotional baggage as well. And that's fine. It's just what we do as human beings. Yeah. yeah. I also had an awful lot recommending you know second opinions third opinions you know this yeah. oncologist in Brazil this specialist treatment in Italy there's a special proton beam machine in Manchester have you chewed on an apricot kernel there's a lady down the east coast of Jersey who can cure cancer with a crystal the works I've had it all and some of them arrive at the most terrible moment where you just want to say I won't use the expletive but you know this visceral I
0: can't. I can't.
1: I'm not going to because someone will clip it up and use it against me F off you know you just this, this angry emotional response to how dare you and then you realize, hang on a minute, no, someone has gone to the effort of writing all of this down, of giving up the most valuable resource they have in their life, which is their time, because it's the one thing we never get back. They've given up some of their time to share this with me with good intention. It comes from a kind place. Accept graciously. So I never write back dismissingly. I write back non-committally, which is, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the effort, da-da-da-da-da, regards, gone. Uh, yeah. But at first it was quite difficult because for some, I got quite an angry response. You know, I wanted to write, I've just been told I'm going to die. I have the best oncologist. Uh, do you think I've not had second opinions? My God, I've had 38 opinions and cancer isn't cancer. It's not just one cancer. There are 20,000 different cancers. You are so ignorant. All of this angry stuff. And then you just think, no. A, it achieves nothing other than makes you look a bit of a dick, Burgess. So don't do that. B, it's highly ungrateful. And C, it changes nothing. So actually, go back with gratitude because I know it comes from a good place but also be content in my own mind that I'm just doing what is right for me. And everyone's different. Yeah? Some people will want to check out the Brazilian oncologist, the, the, the magic potion in Italy and, and get cured with a crystal down gory. Good luck to them. And if it works, brilliant. You know, if you can pray yourself to a cure, happy days. You know, all of that, you know, I've been sent Bible passages. That's just not who I am. However, whatever works for anyone, who am I to say yay or nay? You know, if it works for you, it works. End of story. I don't care what it is. You know, it's like you taking your shoes off and and putting your feet on grass. If you think that's good for your life, you know, I I privately think (laughs) you're a weirdo. But if it works for you, I'm joking. Uh, So, yeah, it's, it's it's a really interesting exercise where people are offloading ideas and emotional baggage as well. And I think that's fine. And I think that's how it is because actually I've realized what you're giving, particularly for people who've been through grief, whether it's yourself in your own way or other friends in my life who then begin talking to me about echoes and reminders of their own grief. And, you know, I was chatting to a friend recently when I finally, after two months, got to the anger stage and the respite doctor, when I went to see them, who said, how are you feeling today? I went, I just want to get someone's head and smash it through that window. And she said, oh, at last. I was like, what? Oh, at last. She said, normally anger is very early. It's taking you two months. Well done. We're finally at anger. You're doing well. Uh, It was like, oh okay Uh, because i just had that (laughs) it's just like oh right okay i I hadn't really thought of it in those terms but i've got friends who are now you know retelling some of their own experiences and i think that's partly a product of society where we live in a world where we can't talk about death so effectively Mm. i'm giving someone uh legitimacy license reason to talk about the things that they've probably been holding in which is quite an unhealthy thing to do
0: yeah and it's quite cultural isn't it i think it's a very british thing yeah,
1: We don't talk about death. Oh, no, no. No, we, we do the funeral. We do some curly-up sandwiches and flat beer at the do afterwards, and then we go back to work. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, maybe. But actually, maybe there's a before, a during, And then after, Uh, and actually, if, if we all just talked about stuff, whatever stuff is and, and death is just stuff, but if we all talked about stuff a little bit more, there'd be less of a weight on the pressure cooker on top of our own heads. And we'd be letting this stuff out a little bit more and we'd probably all be slightly happier, or at least I think so.
0: Oh, for sure. So you mentioned before that you're somebody that doesn't believe in regrets.
1: Correct. Are where's you
0: t- this going? I, I want to know. Are you telling me that there's no regrets of your life lived so far?
1: I think I am. The nearest, genuinely, the nearest so I have to I- answer. The neat? nearest I have to regret is not going to uni. And 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 so it, 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 and it's not a regret about bumming out of my A-levels after three weeks. It's just, it's more of a shame that I didn't get to enjoy this social uni life and create this whole new network of friends who might now be living all around the world as I see other friends have. So it's, it's more that I've missed out on something. So it, it's probably the nearest I come to regrets. I'm, I'm not a regretty type, you know. God, I've made mistakes. But my mantra has always been, make different mistakes. So as long as you're always making different mistakes, then you're learning. And also make sure you learn from those mistakes. If you keep making the same mistake, then you're a bit of an idiot, Burgess. But you know, we all make mistakes. Mistakes are a product of trying, you know, fail fast, learn well, make things better. That's kind of my approach to things. So actually what other people may characterize as a regret Are The very things I think, oh, they've either made me better or stronger, or I've learned something about myself or about other people as well. And that's actually a good thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it goes back to that kind of sliding door stuff we were talking about, right? Some of those things that at the time feel like a mistake, if they hadn't happened, you wouldn't be living in Jersey with Alan, thinking about your cruise and being on the radio and... Being the voice of coronavirus in jazz.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is a moniker I've never had. Being the voice of coronavirus. I love it. <laughs>
0: only thing getting me through this pandemic, Gary, because I can't bear to watch the uh, the government announcements anymore. So every time anything happens, me and my friends are like, well, just check out Gary's Twitter. That's oh, awesome.
1: bless you. Yeah. it's. I mean, to
0: be fair, I started doing those, again, as a selfish thing because it's, I just find it very
1: easy. If I document in real time, summarise versions of stuff, I often don't even have to go back to the tweets. It's the act of writing them down. It's just how my brain works. It's just in there. I can easily think, oh yeah, it was that, it was that. There were 58 cases today. The prevalence is this, and they're going to to do that, yada, 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 whatever it may be. Um, but it quickly became a really interesting service that, that people have relied on, which then creates a bit of an obligation to keep doing it or do it as much as you can. Uh, but it's also really, really nice because we are connecting differently right now. Uh, and so for uh, to, to be able to use Twitter for something slightly more purposeful than perhaps it exists a lot of the time it, is really nice. So I, I always appreciate that.
0: The voice of coronavirus in Jersey. You can have that. You can put that in your LinkedIn <laughs> nice. So, you know, At this point in the conversation, I want to start chatting about goals for the future and all of that. And we're going to get to that. But before we move on, because we're kind of, you know, still talking about the present and the past. I want to talk to you about legacy, mm-hmm. because I think it's something that um, I've been thinking about a lot. And I don't know if this just happens as you get older um but I, w- I would love to know your thoughts on it and kind of as I've just given you a new moniker there it made me think I wonder if that's gonna that's gonna form part of the Gary Burgess le- legacy but if you were to look back in 50 years time and you wanted what would you want your legacy to be and do you think that there's certain parts of that you're gonna achieve or have already
1: I, I think it's something pretty simple. I'd not given it much thought until very recently for the, the reasons we've already discussed. And and I think it comes down to, it's quite boring and underwhelming, so sorry about this, is just <laughs> to be remembered as as a good person. And, and, and good, proper dictionary definition of good, proper good, you know, doing good, being good, making a difference in a good way and that manifests itself in all kinds of different ways and I hope my journalism has has done good I you know there are stories over the years where uh, you know uh, uh, victims and survivors of abuse including child abuse who I've given a voice to and helped change the political agenda or change the policy approach to what might happen to them in future that means a lot to me you know, holding politicians to account, exposing inconsistencies, which at times helps sometimes set the weather which comes with its own obligation the political weather that is not the actual weather Uh, there you are yeah he he sorted climate change um (laughs) that that means a lot to me on on a professional front it really does i i i really mean that um for the the radio stuff just that remembered as, as someone who even in the crappiest of times during the pandemic you know did radio shows that made someone smile a bit of escapism so it's not big heavyweight grand stuff it's just Good, and then at a very personal level, as 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 a husband, as a brother, as a son, you know, j- just someone who was a decent guy. It's really underwhelming in terms of legacy. You know, it's not this grand institution named after me, and I, I yeah, I, none of that nonsense. Uh, it's just good. I keep coming back to the word "good" quite a lot. That it's just it's just a nice word.
0: I also don't think that that's underwhelming, right? If everybody. Wanted that to be their legacy. The world would be a much better place.
1: That—that's it. It's—it's it's that, isn't it? And it—it—it's it, the simple stuff. And it, it's when you start peeling back all the the grand big stuff in life. What's it really all about? It's just. If if everyone was just a bit kinder, you know, listened a little more, had a bit more consideration, set out to do something good that made a difference in a positive way, whatever that is in the sphere of their own life, then there's there's literally no downside to that because it's wonderfully selfish because doing good makes you feel good. So that's nice. You're also improving someone else's life by doing good. So that helps them as well. And then you get the secondary effect of not only do you feel good for your actions, you get to feel good again when your actions have made them feel good. There's, it's something quite self-fulfilling prophecy about it. It's kind of greater than the sum of its parts. Now, do I with that all the time? Hell no. Am I a nightmare to live with? Absolutely. Would I marry me? Not on your Nelly. <laughs> Would I want me as my brother? No. Could I work with me? Not a chance in hell. But I try. I'm a work in progress.
0: (laughs) And that's all we can be, right? At least you're cognizant of it. And then, okay, so I love that as an answer to my legacy question. Thank you, Gary. Being a good egg. That's how I'm going to summarize that. It's that, isn't it?
1: And it it really is that simple. And if we could all just try to do that a little bit more, you know, I I think in this world of social media, and I include myself in this, the the default reaction to most things is is to react with a, but, you know, someone might say, you know, I've just inherited a million pounds. And instead of going, that's amazing, you go... But how much are you giving to charity? You know, everything's a but. But, you know, we've we've just delivered 5,000 vaccines. Why haven't you done 6,000 vaccines? And as a journalist, I can be guilty of that at times because, you know, you're looking looking for the wedge in the story there. And actually, a lot of the time, we we forget, you know, 99% of everything that goes on, Is brilliant. It's a bit like, you know, crime statistics make news. The fact that 99% of people were law abiding at all times today did not make the news. You know, man didn't rob bank is not a news story. But it's just a good reminder. The default position of most people most of the time is good.
0: Yeah, that is a good reminder. And it's funny, isn't it? it's such a a thing and you know i know you're very prevalent on twitter but that idea of the constant like but what about this but i don't think that constantly um and it it can be from a place of kind of feeling like there's not enough to go around or feeling like you know if one person wins then you're gonna lose um but yeah a good reminder for all of us that's not the case right there's enough to go around
1: yeah, and it's it's it, you know a lot of it comes from a place of either fear or worry or uncertainty or a lack of communication or a lack of clear communication, which is one of my you know big ongoing never ending bugbears when it comes to you know governments for sure, politicians specifically, uh, but in so many walks of life as well. You know, good communication matters to to build trust and rapport and store up brownie points for when things go wrong. So you can see where some of this kickback comes from. But I'm also aware as a journalist. So my Twitter feed might be squirting out lots of news stories. Well, news stories by the very definition, because I'm generally working on the top end of the program, off on the top story. So it is not the fluffy and finally that we all need in our life. Uh, so I, I am conscious to make sure in amongst all of that stuff, like yesterday, I just posted a picture of me out in the sunshine in St. Oban. I'd just been for a cup of coffee after filming a pretty serious news story where a government minister told me he thought about resigning lots. So there's like the news lines going on. And then just in the middle of it, I just posted a picture of me basking in the sun going great big fireball in the sky i'm told it's sunshine apparently because it's just been a crap few days and and which of all the tweets got the most likes that day it was that one you know just every now and then we just need that which is why you know if someone posts a sunrise or just something nicer. Uh, i saw a panda playing with a snowman in a zoo the other day and oh joyous yeah that's the content we live for
0: <laughs> i literally live for panda content and like <laughs> running through aquariums that was like that got me through the first lockdown what we all need absolutely right dogs into an aquarium that was like a whole thing for a while for me yeah this is the content i live for gary
1: exactly right i used to be quite sneery of people who talked about your cats of instagram you're like actually they've got a point yeah yeah we we, we all deserve that right now
0: that's the bit of instagram that i live on when i'm not working so i'm not ashamed to say it so normally at this point um kind of as we're coming to the end of our chat i want to talk about plans for the future goals things that you're focused on um so what what's kind of on your horizons
1: okay um so the 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 uber selfish stuff is to get on a cruise uh we just love our cruises so as and when the 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 world opens up enough and and that sort of stuff can resume so that's very materialistic and very selfish but absolutely uh, want to do that because you know part part of what comes next is, is making special memories and that's something very special so yeah definitely that um to continue working while i can because i'm aware that probably isn't going to be always the case so that broadly falls into three or four areas so the 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 television news reporting a i really enjoy it i absolutely love it it's just such a privilege to do it still tickles me that i'm allowed on the telly to do the actual news because as a kid i was like that's what grown-ups do and i've still not grown up yet i get to do this how does that work i've still not been found out I, i don't have a levels i'm entirely unqualified yet they let me do it um so do that you know i i love the whole ding dong with politicians and sharing people's stories and trying to right wrongs as well. So there is a bit of campaigning journalism in among there as well uh then the radio stuff again just because selfishly i really enjoy doing it it's a really nice it's the opposite of the news you know it's empty your brain of all the worries of life and it's just enjoy playing some tunes and being in the moment so there's that
0: you're the cat instagram of
1: radio there you are i will take that the cat instagram of radio pussy powered radio shows let's not go there. (laughs) (laughs) there's a hashtag nobody needs in their life um and, and and then the the newspaper columns i write every sort of 10 days to 14 days uh, in the Jersey Evening Post uh, are a great, I guess, platform. So I am aware of the responsibility. It's not to give my personal opinions because I, I for example i don't share my political opinions i don't share my personal views on particularly contentious issues nobody knows where i want the hospital to be built because i would not share because how can i then cover those stories fairly but i will certainly give my informed take on those issues uh, so i i really enjoy doing that so so yeah to carry on doing that as well uh, and i and i do a little bit of uh, of, of writing work for some other the people behind the scenes as well because i just enjoy writing so when people need bits and pieces writing i, I do do a do a bit of that in between times as well um so i've i've kind of almost forgotten what the question was but yeah to to carry on doing doing that while i can and then there's what else do i want to do I've, i've got this thing i still don't know what it is i i want to have created something with purpose that lasts and I'm not quite there yet. It's it's varied, uh, and I won't tell you necessarily what the it is on the subject matter, because if I end up doing it, then I can well, try and get a slot on the next series of your podcast to promote it Um, (laughs) or use your services to promote it as well as a social media superstar. Um, But just something with purpose. And uh, it it was variously a book and then it became a video, then it became a blog and it became a podcast and it became a website. And the the it is not quite there yet. Um, But I, I don't quite know, is it something to do with dying well? Is it something to do with journalism and why journalism matters it all keeps shifting so i'm not there and it may never happen i might run out of time but i'm keen to create something that lives on so when i'm long gone there is a thing but i'm not quite clear on what that thing is yet i probably need a cruise to sit down, and watch the sunrise and let the ideas form over a pina colada obviously
0: it's the pina coladas that are going to bring you the good ideas <laughs> to right. make you some of the weekend and see if that helps it along
1: Oh, that's a dangerous start, isn't it? Don't say that, God! I'll have no ideas by the end of those.
0: On the sofa, Living
1: my best life, absolutely.
0: Pretty good. I'd love someone to come and make me a peanut clardon. that would be nice. You said there about time, hmm. and um, you know, before time runs out. And I think that time is something that we all kind of pretend isn't running out, right? We've all got this thing in our head that because I guess if you thought about that every day, you'd never do anything. You'd just be lying in your bed in your dressing gown worrying about your time running out um but I love that as we've talked about your goals you've not put any time limits on them so are you just thinking I'm just I'm just gonna go in it and when it's done it's done yeah, it's. I, th- I think what it is, you know,
1: when do when do we ever think about like that time running out? You know, you think, oh, we'll live into our eighties, and it's it's tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. A bit like the the early stages of working when someone encourages you to join a pension scheme, and you're like, I'm not joining a pension scheme, wasting my money. That's for other people. And actually, ironically. I never needed to, anyway, did I? So, anyway, that's by the way. Um, <laughs> that's one of the upsides of my circumstances. Um, but yeah, I, you know, time. I, I, I am aware not of that it's going to be six months or twelve months or two years or three months or, or any of the, any specific number. But I, I am absolutely aware that there are fewer than I would otherwise expect, and it's not that doesn't make me sad. Uh, what it actually does is make me think. Right, I've now got this obligation to make them matter, um, so, so yeah, so it's kind of it gives you like a fresh drive and a fresh purpose. So it's like, right, that project that you know we put everything off to tomorrow, tomorrow never comes. Well, actually, Burgess, you know, you might need to pull your finger out and get on with it because we, we can't keep saying that for too much longer. You know, I, I'm I'm a master prevaricator. Um, and again, going back to talking about GCSEs and coursework and doing it the night before it's due in. Well, that's very me. Uh, that is very very me. Uh, you know, a lifelong fluker who always lands butter side up when I fall down. Um, but actually, with some of these plans, I do need to give them a bit more thought. So I've been you know, making preparations around the admin of my own life that I need to sort out right now, just boring stuff around bank accounts and pensions and shares and uh, making a will, all that kind of stuff that needs sorting out. But at the same time, right, if I am to do something particularly purposeful. So not the going on the holiday on the cruise ship thing, you know, that will just happen when it can happen if it's able to. But if I am to do something purposeful, I do need to do something about it. I do find myself like, oh yeah, November's become December's become January's, about to become February, and on it goes. Well, you've got to be careful about that because it might catch up with you, mate. So that's on my mind. But in classic prevaricating style, still done nothing about it.
0: I like that, though, because I think that if you want to break the habit of a lifetime, Gary, right? Yeah. And,
1: and that's, you know, it's funny, isn't it? It was only in my mid-30s that that finally clicked of just you are who you are who you are. I, I, it took me you know, three and a half decades to not think that you had to kind of emulate someone else who'd influenced your life. Um, and I thought, I oh, know, I'm me. And actually, people appreciate me and employ my services because I'm me. So that's fine. You're good enough. You know It doesn't mean you then become complacent and stop trying and any of those other things. But actually, it's all right. You know, People like you for what you are, either because you're cheap and available or because you're good at what you do. And either of those is fine by me. And yeah? The best sweet spot in the market is be cheap and available and good at what you do. That is the absolute sweet spot on the Venn diagram of employment. Uh, so I try and sit in that spot. But actually, it took three and a half decades to get to that point. So, yeah, I'm I'm quite relaxed about that.
0: And my final question then before we wrap up, is there anything or any connections in your life or anything that you're focused on that you want to do better?
1: (sighs) I think I just acknowledge that i'm a work in progress but that we're all works in progress um so actually i I probably don't look like i am but i'm always trying to be a bit better so i don't think i can narrow that down to whether it's being a journalist or a writer or a broadcaster or a husband or a friend i i think friends wise is the one where i've tried a little bit harder in recent times because i i i'm very often of the oh next week, next weekend. And, and suddenly, as we've just been saying on a different subject, days become weeks become months as well. So I've tried a bit harder on that front. But in terms of, of, of doing anything particularly better, actually probably cutting myself slack. So giving myself permission to not worry about not being good enough. You know, it, it's okay. I, I keep coming back to that. Everything that's ever happened in my life has ended up okay. Everything Everything ends up okay, You know, heartaches, previous relationships, family dramas, bad days at work. Everything has ended up okay, And that's quite a nice reminder.
0: It really is. And what a lovely way to finish our conversation, Gary. Thank you so much for joining me and for your time today. But before you go, is there anything that you want to plug or point any of our listeners to while you've got a little moment to do so?
1: Oh, if I can, that seems uber cheeky, but why not? A a dear friend of mine has just started a fundraising campaign for Cancer Research UK. Um, So for obvious reasons, it's very, very close to home. She's asking people to put on their wellies and jump in a puddle and share a photo of jumping in a puddle because it just makes you smile and then make a donation to Cancer Research UK through a website so that all the money is collated so we can see how much is collated and then non other people. So it's kind of good breeding, good breeding, good. Uh, The website is jumpinapuddle.co.uk and the hashtag is jumpinforcancer. So if you can remember either of those on any social media platform, if you type jumpinapuddle.co.uk or the hashtag jumpinforcancer, uh, you will see the details there. It's only recently launched. It's, I think it's raised like, 10 15000 pounds in the first week so the ball is beginning to roll and the ambition is big to raise one million pounds for cancer research uk and to get anywhere near that would be staggering so yeah that's my shameless plug at the end thanks for letting me do that
0: i love that and i'm gonna it's a rainy day here so i'm gonna go and find a puddle today and get involved you scary. thank you so
1: much for your time thank you i've really enjoyed it
0: Hopefully you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. You can tune in every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher for the next free episode. And why not subscribe now so you don't miss out? If you really enjoyed this episode, then please don't forget to leave us a five-star review because they really do help. And why not head over to Instagram, share the episode with your family and friends and tag us too. Thanks for listening and don't forget to stay connected.